listeners, welcome to another episode of Beckett's Babies. We're your hosts, Sam Collier and Sarah Cho, and we have a guest from uh, Black Lives, Black Words International Project. It's an online play season celebrating the diversity of African-American and African experience in today's world. They recently launched Plays for the People. It's a season that features new works from seven cutting-edge Black playwrights, Reginald Edmund, Chisa Hutchinson, Anya Pearson, Dominic Taylor, Idris Goodwin, Katrina D. Richard, and Wooly Ogentoken. So the first season opened on July 8th and will continue to run through November 8th, 2020. Joining us is playwright, co-founder, and managing curating producer of Black Lives, Black Words International Project, Reginald Edmund. Welcome to the show. Thank you so very much for having me on. I really (laughs) appreciate it. Yeah. Um, So one of our first questions we ask on our show to all our guests is... Tell us your earliest memory. You know, what was your life like before theater? Ooh, ooh, okay. Uh, So uh, I'm originally from Houston, Texas. Uh, So Mm -hmm. my earliest memories are of growing up in the suburbs of Houston, Texas, as one of the lone Black kids in the neighborhood. And, uh, and, uh, then going to uh, Kansas City, where my grandparents lived, in the summer, so that I could get uh, beaten up by the street kids. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> my experience, uh, but uh, I, I would say that um, it's it's my earliest. The memories that I, I remember most is sitting down with my uh, my father or my mom and reading uh, books like. Uh, North Star, or uh, about Frederick Douglass, or about W.E.B. Du Bois, and things of that nature, uh, and having them read to me and, and uh, telling me about the rich legacy that that I came from. Yeah. Cool. And do you feel like that storytelling, reading, um, informed you wanting to go into theater at all? Oh, totally. Totally. Uh, well. To be fair, I started off thinking that I was going to be a politician. Oh, and then, wow. Yeah, like growing up, I was like, I'm going to be a politician. And then um, uh, I realized that I, I'm a little bit too honest for that. And then, uh, <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I could be, I could be a, a preacher. Uh, so I went to school and, and I decided I was going to major in, in religious philosophy. Um, I thought I was going to be a preacher. And then I realized that uh, in college, uh, that's when I like discovered like everything. Uh, so uh, I realized maybe the religious pathway is not for me because I like sinning a little bit too much. Uh, so, um, <laughs> and then uh, one day, um, this girl who I had a crush on, who shall remain nameless at this moment. Uh, but uh, <laughs> she said, uh, during co- we were in college, I had I had uh, I had grown up on like Princess Bride and all those other movies. So uh, my my romance guide was like, chase the girl, right? So I go to college <laughs> to follow after this girl, and eventually she would notice me, right? And um, 
I recommend this to nobody who's who's like looking to go into college. Don't do this. <laughs> and so uh, for me, um, she she's come sits down at the table that me and some friends are sitting at, uh, and then she's like, "I'm gonna go audition for a play." So my ridiculous self, I had always been like, "Oh, theater! Oh, that's for dweebs and all this other stuff." I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to do that. I'm too cool for that. And then when I heard her say she was going to go audition for this play, I was like, oh, I'm going to go audition for this play too. <laughs> uh, and then that's how it works. And then uh, for some strange, crazy reason, uh, I get a, um, I get cast as a lead in the play. It's Tartuffe by Moliere. And um, I had never acted before. Uh, and she didn't get cast. So that completely... Uh, <laughs> wow. ...that romance, but it caused me to really fall in love with theater. And, and I've been kind of chasing wow. after that one ever since. And you owe it all to her. Did, did you ever tell her that she was the beginning of your theater? Oh, adventure? no. No. <laughs> wow. So, it was your, was that your first time like memorizing lines and first time like well, I mean, you know, you had the whole like, you know, Bible study church mm-hmm. thing as a like kid or in like elementary school, you had to do the role in the play, but I was like, no, this isn't this isn't for me, right? Uh yeah. I was kind of traumatized as a child from doing little kid theater uh so i was like no this isn't my life uh but i fell in love with it again as i fell in love with it uh as a in in college i I would just like to unpack this a little bit more so like because i remember my like early moments like discovering theater for the first time and so for you when you just got that you're like reading the script the play running lines like what started like clicking for you like oh I kind of like this like what what was it about that process Mm, for me it was it was uh stepping into uh the life of somebody else that caused me to be so excited about it uh jumping into it you know um Mm. being and embodying embodying somebody whose existence I I never knew you know I didn't know anything about um creature from the 1800s uh, you know but uh i i just embody that character in in ways that i didn't think was possible you know mm-hmm. and, and somehow I, I got the role and and uh then i started falling in love with acting and and um the reality kicked in when i graduated from college that there wasn't a lot of roles for skinny black guys with glasses and dreadlocked at the time. I no longer have dreadlocks because of genetics, but, um, uh, that was my, my journey, you know? And then Mm -hmm. I all those doors that I've, I've stepped through wouldn't have kicked off if I didn't one day go into an audition, uh, chasing after some girl. Mm Mm-hmm. And then how did you, how and when did you decide to start writing plays? 
so uh, I'm in Houston, Texas at this time. Just I'm still a little bit in college at this time. I was like about to graduate. Um, but uh, I uh, go in because I'm to this theater called the Silver House Theater. Uh, I'm trying to audition for a paid gig, a professional gig. I'm like, I'm too good for these this amateur college theater thing, right? <laughs> um, now looking back, I was like, no, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. Um, but I go into this audition for this an audition for this play. Um, there's not a lot of roles for skinny black guys with glasses and dreadlocks at the time uh, in the wonderful city of Houston, Texas. Um, I'm struggling to get work um, on these professional stages. I'm getting frustrated, right? And so I go into the Silverhouse Theater and I audition uh, for this play. And in the middle of the audition, uh, I say... And I recommend nobody ever do this. Uh, I say, this play is awful. I can write better. I can write better, right? And uh, the lady, yeah, don't ever do that, people. Don't ever do that. That's Uh, amazing. uh, The lady who ran the theater, she pulled me aside. And uh, she said, one, uh, don't ever talk about someone's work in that way, shape or form, right? Don't ever do that. Um, because people have put their time and their effort and their heart inside of this play. Mm. Uh, two, uh, this artist is paying for my, to use my vicinity. So you will not, uh, you know, do this next thing, disrespect in my in her space. Uh, so I was like, all right, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I could write better, I could write better, right? And so she said, all right, well, if you think you can, you can do that, well, then you go home and you write and you prove it. So me being this hot headed um, kid who didn't know any freaking better, uh, I go home and I write this play about this uh, guy who goes to college chasing after this girl. Right? <laughs> your first play you write. You write what you know. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And so I think maybe like a week or two weeks later, I came back with this, this, I want to say it was like 40, 50 pages long script. And I said, boom. And I slammed it on her desk. And I was like, there you go. I wrote it. Right. And so she said, all right, well, now you're going to uh, produce it, direct it. Uh, cast it, wow. uh, lighting, uh, design it, market it, the whole gambit, right? And so she threw me to the fire. Uh, the play was called A Love Story. And... Um, of course. <laughs> and... Uh, wow. And it sold out. It, it, it was like a crazy little hit uh, in the city of Houston, Texas, right? Uh, I went to people's I went to, I marketed it. So I went to parades. I went to like all these different parties and events and club events. And I was like handing out flyers and putting it on cars and, and um, telling people, uh, people would be like, so what is this? Like a Tyler Perry play? And I'd be like, no, it's better. You should watch it. <laughs> right. And uh, 
Uh-huh. And, and we sold out every every night we would sell out and there'd be some people that would come back and they would bring their friends. And I think really uh, looking at the play, it was awful. The play was really, really bad. But I think people came and uh, watched it because it was like, man, you got to see this play is so bad. Right. I think it was like, <laughs> the room. you know, I think it was like the room where everybody was like, you have to see just how bad this play is. Um and so finally she was like, all right, so what's your next play? And I was like, oh, I don't know, but let me come up with something. And so eventually I started getting really hooked on writing. Um, and so I kept writing, sending plays in, doing it, doing it, doing it. And so eventually she made me uh, the artistic director of, of uh, the Silver House Theater. Uh, we created the Houston Urban Theater Festival. Um, yeah, I was the youngest black, I was the youngest artistic director in the city of Houston at the time with a building. Uh, it was, it was insane. Wow, that is so cool. I mean, you're yeah. saying you shouldn't do that in an audition, but like, <laughs> I mean, I feel like all of that happened because you said mm-hmm. this play is so bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think, um, <laughs> I think really it it was because people uh saw this um this wild little kid uh with a lot of ambition and said I'm going to take a chance on it you know mm-hmm. um, and, and I think so much of my career has been uh uh thanks to I'm just thinking back on it like now, so much of my career has been because, thankfully, because of of, uh, Black women who have uh, seen the potential in me and said, let me invest in in who you are as an artist uh, or as a a young man and help push you in the direction uh, so that you could be the best that you could be. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so I've been very, I've been very lucky. You know, I, I, I don't recommend everybody uh, go throw a script down on the stage in the middle of an audition and and say this play is crap or or chase after somebody to get a to get them to, to take notice of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you just really have to to be bold and 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 hope somebody takes notice of who you are yeah Mm -hmm. Mm yeah and i think just hearing you and then you know you got the play and you're out there on the street you're marketing it you're putting it together you you did all yeah that's and was that like your first time like producing it like that yeah that was wow like the silver house theater was my uh first real uh, I learned more working for the Silver House Theater than I did in my four years of undergrad college. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that was probably some of the most informative uh, education that I ever received. Wow, amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, which well, now, so time has moved on. You're like, flash forward to now. Could you talk to us a little bit about Black Lives, Black Words? 
um, and like where did the idea originate from? Yeah, so um, we started uh, Black Lives, Black Words in uh, 2014, 2015. Um, between me and uh, my uh, co-founder and now wife, uh, Similia Hodge Dalloway. Uh, Sim is from the UK, I'm from the US. Um, we started off, we just met and um, where all great stories begin in a bar. And, um, and uh, she was doing a, a series of interviews of playwrights uh, based around who could write for who, what is your experience as, as writers of color. Uh, and so she was just going around the globe interviewing uh, some really uh, incredible writers. And somehow um, my name kind of slid through the list and uh, she, and because uh, she was talking to some heavy hitters, like just be real, like she was talking to some heavy, heavy hitters, like, like, um, like Marcus Gardley and Nobby Kelly and uh, Lydia Diamond and so many more. Like, so I was like way at the bottom of this uh, Reginald Lawrence or Shepsu uh, as, as he goes by, you know? So I was way at the bottom of this food chain list that she was talking to. And, um, and somehow I got in the mix. And so I was like, yes, I would love to talk to you. Um, and so we started talking about uh, in the, through this conversation, we started talking about social justice, about uh, how artists of color aren't often provided the opportunity to really speak out on the very issues that were taking place around us. Um, at this moment in time, uh, the deaths of Trayvon Martin and, and Michael Brown and Sandra Bland were taking place around us. Uh, and for me personally, as a writer, I was feeling really, um, uh, handicapped, really. I, f I felt like there wasn't an opportunity for me to speak out on the issues that are going on around me in my very communities, you know? All the theaters, they had gatekeepers, they had the literary managers, the artistic directors, their boards that they had to answer to. Uh, there wasn't really a lot of opportunity for, for Black playwrights to speak out on without being met by some kind of wall to prevent us from speaking out. Um, and so I began to wonder how many other artists just like me are also feeling this exact same way. And so we created uh, in that bar at that moment in time over some mimosas, um, <laughs> uh, Black Lives, Black Words. And so I said, all right, we're going to start it off in Chicago. Uh, so I gathered... Uh, five major black theater companies here in Chicago. If anybody that knows Chicago knows that Chicago is hella tribal when it comes down to our theater community, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it is especially tribal when it comes down to uh, black theater. Uh, oftentimes artists work together, but they don't often like, you know, it's like the Capulets and the Montagues, we don't <laughs> with each other in terms of like, I just cuss, I apologize. Um, Oh, in nice. terms of our, our theater, right? Uh, we have our little theater companies and that's who we mess with. Um, so at this moment in time, I went to each of the various different theater companies and I said, this is my crazy idea. We are going to do a one night event at uh, the Greenhouse Theater. This is 
in a short period of crazy freaking time, right? So I went to each of these various different theater companies and uh, I said, will you be a part of this event? And uh, they came together. They all said yes. And um, so it was uh, Congo Square, Black Ensemble, ETA Creative Arts, Impact, and uh, Pegasus Theater. Um, so we created history in that moment and we performed it at the Greenhouse Theater and we fire hazard the hell out of the Greenhouse Theater. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was beautiful. People, it, the line was wrapped around the building um, uh, and we, we just packed as many people into that space as humanly possible. And, and it was this really incredible, powerful moment that, um, that um, was healing. You know, we we featured so many different black playwrights. There's various ten minute plays by black writers, uh, produced by black uh, artists, directed by black artists, and we we it was it was something that so many people were so grateful for and, and really appreciated. And um, so we were like, okay, well, it worked here in the U.S. Let's try it in the U.K. And so uh, we went to the Bush Theater in uh, London. And so we did it there as well. Uh, and we fired Hazard the Bush Theater. Um, people really responded to this, this event. They really wanted that moment of healing and to be able to speak out about the various issues that are taking place within their community. Um, and, and so from there, I got a little bit more bold. Um, and so I called up the Guthrie Theater in mm. Minneapolis. And I was like, hey, look, here's the deal. Uh, we want to bring uh, Black Lives, Black Words to your theater. And at first, they kind of blew us off. They were like, who the hell are you guys? And then um, uh, I, I, I kept calling them. I kept calling. And eventually I said, hey, look, we're going to do this thing. And um, we're going to do it in your, your front, the front of your building. Uh, so you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Let us in, or or we could, uh, you know. So they finally let us have their studio space, right? And uh, which is huge. Their studio space is like uh, basically like as big as the Goodman. It's insane. Uh, so we fire hazard the hell out of the Guthrie Theater, um, bringing in artists from Minneapolis to to really speak to their community, and so and so on and so forth. And then uh, we kind of exploded out. So now we do college takeovers in which we provide the opportunity for uh, college students to be not just artists, but also activists within their own communities and, and uh, create their own version of a Black Lives, Black Word showcase. Uh, so it's produced by, written by, directed by uh, Black students on their college campuses, speaking to the very issues that are going on, on their, in their communities. And then on top of that, um, we also do, uh, uh, workshops and panel discussions and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so it exploded and now we've served, uh, two continents, three countries, nine cities. We worked with well over 300 artists. We've worked with, uh, 100 theater, 100 playwrights, um, and we're growing and then we're expanding. We have an anthology. Um, 
And now we're rolling out this this crazy project called the Place for the People, uh, that that are providing um, black artists uh, and artists from the POC communities the opportunity to to speak uh, when you know our theater. So much of our theaters are 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 shuttered. Yeah, well, that is so cool, and it mm-hmm. it's making me wonder. Like when you think about the future of Black Lives, Black Words, like do you have a vision of how you want it to grow even further? Yeah, I mean, uh, right before right before this whole pandemic struck, uh, we were about to roll out this global commissioning initiative in which we were about to... Uh, you know, everybody talks about the world premieres of these plays and really a world premiere is just, you know, it just happens in their one little city. And then um, oftentimes that play like disappears. Right. But it's that world premiere. And then they also have rolling world premieres and those rolling world premieres. It happens in like maybe in like Ohio and like Chicago. And then that play disappears. Mm-hmm. Um there's not much movement or, or whatever else to those works. So we created this, this project called, in which we were going to do global world, uh, global commissionings, where we were going to take uh, 10 to 12 uh, Black writers from around the globe. We provide them work- workshops, panel discussions, uh, all the things that's needed to, to sharpen their work, connect them with, with uh with artistic leaders from around the globe so that they become familiar with their writing. And then we were going to, going to uh, eventually commission two of those playwrights uh, to uh, to fully realize the work and, and have, uh, have those theaters partner together uh, to produce those plays. Um, it was, and, and it was going to be a rolling world premiere. So it would, Take place in like London. It would take place in Canada. It would take place in the U.S. Uh, and, and those plays would be published. And it, it was a whole crazy, crazy, crazy project. Um, and that kind of got. We were just about to have all these various theaters sign the dotted line, and then mm. COVID hit, mm. and so <laughs> that um, that kind of cr- crushed our crazy dream at the moment in time. But um, we're an organization that believes in, in serving the community and, and really pushing the work uh, for the community and figuring out how we can best serve the community. So, uh, in a few in a few months' time, we will have a online bookstore featuring uh, black plays and and uh, and and other work on our website. We're going to also. Um, we're still rolling out this rolling this um, uh, the plays for the people uh, online season, which is going to be featuring uh, so many incredibly talented artists, um, uh, and and those plays will be performed live on Zoom for the community at basically the price of a of an Amazon um, ticket, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean we're we're rolling out new and creative ways to push the narrative and push those black voices forward. 
Uh, what's next for us? Who the hell knows? Uh, we kind of just flow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're, we're kind of a madhouse over here. Uh, but we we have uh, 33 artistic associates within our organization from all around the globe, and and we're we're working really diligently to um, to to provide the opportunity to create revolutions uh, in in as many different ways as possible for that for our community. Wow. Yeah. Cool. I just I I'm just thinking about the story that you told us. When you're auditioning, you're like, this play is bad. <laughs> and then <laughs> hearing now where you're heading, like, I mean, it's really, what a remarkable, like, just journey uh, to hear your story and um, the work that you're creating uh, for other writers. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Just giving that same opportunity to all these uh, the, mm-hmm. all these new young writers to get their words heard. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just so yeah. beautiful. Yeah. But I mean, I, I also want to say that we're not just focusing on, on, on new writers, but we're also right. uh, working with, with uh, you know, some mid, mid-career and some legends who oftentimes... Mm-hmm. What happens to these people is they have these these uh these explosive little careers um, that take place. These these major theaters they fall in love with them for this brief period of time. They skyrocket them to to put their name on like the New York Times and and American Theater Magazine and all these other things. And then all of a sudden uh, they they let them go. Yeah. They, so they, they, yeah. Especially, especially if you're an artist of color, right? You're you're celebrated mm-hmm. one minute and then you're like forgotten the next for whoever is is writing that that hot new play or that problematic little play about PLCs that everybody seems to love, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And 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 so uh, we're working with those artists as well to to really say, hey, we see your contribution. We recognize your voice and, and the legacy that you've set out for us, and we we love and appreciate you, and we want you to continue uh, creating the works that uh, that you're doing. You know, so it, we're working with a wide wide uh, range of voices to to boost those voices forward uh, and break new ground and and in the in the in this business that we do called theater. Just before we move on to glistens, a couple of questions we have. So one question I'd love to hear from you is, you know, what advice would you give to our listeners uh, for just kind of starting out, um, still trying to find their voice? You know, what advice would you want to give to those listeners? To those uh, I, I would say I, I would give them three things. Uh, one, uh, believe in your voice. Believe in and the words that you are putting onto that page, recognize that the work that you're doing uh, comes from a very sacred place. Uh, we, we all, all of us as writers, are the descendants of the griots, right? And so those were the original storytellers, right? People gathered around the campfire and they told those stories and they spoke the truth and they led the people in, in really amazing pathways. And we have to we have to remember that we come from that really rich legacy. Um, so 
every time that you put pen to paper, it has to be um, it has to be to push us forward, right? I mean, it's mm. great doing those comedies. It's great doing whatever else, but we come from a rich, rich legacy, and 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 there's a responsibility and duty behind it. And so, step forward uh, with pride and and purpose when you put pen to paper. So that would be one thing. Uh, two, it would be don't take no from nobody. Right. Um, <laughs> fuck these gatekeepers. Right. It is is make a way for yourself, no matter what. Um, and believe in yourself. Uh, so that would be two. Mm. And then three would be know that deep inside of yourself, you are powerful. And, mm. and if you know these three things, that you come from a rich legacy of writers, uh, that that. Um, to believe in yourself no matter what and, and push forward and don't take no and, and and know that you're powerful, nothing can stop you as a writer. So that's that's my 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 advice, you know. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's beautiful. I love it. Cool. So this is kind of a tough question, I think. <laughs> but mm. I feel like I think I think you're you're up for this challenge, okay? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> how would you define what it means to be an artist in the 21st century? Uh, okay. And even in like July 2020. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, let's see what's going on right now. We have a puppet mm-hmm. president the world's coming to the end. There's a plague, uh, you know. Just the usual. Usual stuff. So I would say, um, so two things. One, Nina Simone once said that the the role of an artist is to speak to their times. So uh, that's one thing. I think that still stands in the 21st century is that the role of a playwright uh, is is a sacred one, and that is our duty to really speak to the times that we're living in, right? And then I think the second one is um, uh, so my wife. Whenever I say this, she gets super annoyed with me because I say this in every single podcast or interview I ever do. But um, uh, the role of a, of a playwright stems all the way back from the role of the griots, right? Um, uh, so we, in the Griot served as both a preacher, a politician, and even as a prophet. Uh, mm. so there's so much sacredness inside of that. And I think if you, uh, back then they were dealing with, uh, corrupt kings, um, freaking plagues of locusts and, and black plagues and, Everything you can imagine that can freaking kill the people, right? Uh, and still, there were those voices, those people amongst us who told the stories that needed to be told and pushed the people forward. And so I, I think right now in the 21st century, we're dealing with freaking corrupt politicians, freaking murder hornets instead of locusts. <laughs> and and with freaking plagues. So I think just like back then, we still hold this duty 
to to create revolutions and to create change and to speak for our people and uh, and to really push us forward in really exciting and bold ways um, and just speak the truth that people need to hear uh, and and so that would be yeah I think that's it I think that's what uh, just like back then we hold we need to hold that duty. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I want to like, how do I plot? I'm plotting. (laughs) Wow. Well, um, I'm wondering if you could just say a little bit about your play Rideshare before you move on to Glissons in case people are interested in checking that out. Yeah, totally. So um, uh, Rideshare, uh, how do I talk about Rideshare? so Rideshare is a part of the Play for the People season, which is our virtual program uh, of plays, which is performed nightly and live streamed to audiences, computers around the globe. So Rideshare is written by me, uh, directed by my the Black Lives, Black Wars co-founder, and also my wife now, uh, Samelia Hodge Dalloway. And it's, and it's uh, performed by uh, this really amazing uh, TV film theater actor named Kamal Angelo Bolden, who is rocking out his play. Uh, and Rod Share follows this young African-American Uber driver uh, through a series of, of events that uh, really threaten his humanity. And, and riding with him is this, uh, is this dark passenger who's called uh, the Dark Rider who who pushes him and 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 really tests his humanity mm. so wow. yeah and so we're we're watching we're going on this journey of this of this guy as he's going through his 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 night ride uh picking up fares and and it's really an examination of what it means to work in gig in the gig economy um what it means to be black uh, in America today, uh, facing unemployment, facing uh, the str- everyday struggles that we face, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, shall we move to Glissons? So this is yeah. um, things that we want to highlight yeah. from the week that we saw or read or uh, listened to. So mm-hmm. it can be anything. Um, does either of you want to start us off? Um, I could start. So yeah. this week, uh, I watched this show, Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, it's a it used to be my little like favorite show when I was a kid. I I am really drawn into, and I think I mentioned this on the show, but like true crime, these like mysteries, uh, and so. I just like binge watched the whole thing yesterday and I started <laughs> to like Google each of these like mystery or this like a case. And then I just started my own Google drive of like case files. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just trying to like, maybe the police or like, maybe like the, you know, the sheriffs can't solve this, but maybe I will. <laughs> um, but you know, it's just like, it's, I don't know what has gone with me right now but I have a lot of time I guess and um I could totally so. see a future of you as a private investigator 
I think you'd be really good at that. Who ate this avocado? <laughs> Who ate this? Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so that's my uh, little glisten over here. Who's next? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. I absolutely love it. Reginald, do you have a glisten from the week? Yeah. So should I go next? Sure. Uh, so I am, I have two things, I, well, maybe three things that I've been, that I've been really, really on just in love with at the moment in time. So one is, uh, this app called, uh, We Buy Black, which is an online marketplace that showcases, uh, black owned businesses and their products. Uh, so I've been really, uh, down for that and I've been just absolutely loving that. And I've just been uh, that's I, I've replaced my Amazon with We Buy Black, so I'm trying to do that one. And then um, the the other one that I'm I, the other thing that I'm really in love with is uh, I just started watching these two different very sh- these two different shows. One is uh, called Homecoming. Well, it's the second season of Homecoming, and it stars uh, Janelle Monae. And it's like an incredible, incredible uh, kind of a noir kind of feel to to the story. Uh, and that's on Amazon, actually. Uh, so check that out uh, if you can. And then the other one that I've been, I just checked out this other TV show called uh, The Expanse, which is a sci-fi series uh, also on Amazon. And I've just been... Uh, binging the hell out of that show. Cool. It's like Game of Thrones in space. It's amazing. Whoa. I think I've heard about that one. So do you like that show a lot right now? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I've been been binging it like crazy. I think think there's like maybe three or four, four seasons on there and I'm already like on season four and I've been just (laughs) watching it in like two days. (laughs) <laughs> oh wow! Oh cool. I just started listening to this podcast that I have meant to listen to for years called Verses, which is Franny Choi and Denez Smith, um, two poets um, talking about poetry. And mm. it is everything I didn't know I needed. It, and it starts in 2017, which is kind of, it's like really weird in this moment to listen to people, you know, kind of still reacting to the, the new Trump administration. Um, mm. It's like, it feels like so long ago. And also, um, no, maybe it just feels like so long ago. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> wow. You know, it's been a long, it's been a long few years, um, mm-hmm. but they are so they're, they're so funny and they have such a good um, just kind of like chemistry with each other and they interview poets and I really recommend it. Nice. Nice. Oh. Nice. Okay. Very cool. So, well, that's our show. So uh, where can listeners find you if they want to check out more of your work or more about Black Lives with Black Words? Yes, I am young, black, and Googleable. Uh, no, okay. <laughs> so I, I, would, I would say that uh, you can check me out on uh, blacklivesblackwords.org. Uh, 
and, and that provides you not just a way to check me out, uh, uh, the work that I'm doing, but also the work of, of countless other artists as well. Uh, and I encourage you all to check out the Play for the People season. Um, we have some really amazing artists taking part in this. And then um, I'm on the new, new Play Exchange as well. So some of my work in writing is on there. If you're a playwright, uh, I recommend you be on the New Play Exchange and you can check check out some of my stuff on that. Awesome. Yeah, and then we'll be sure to link those out in our show notes. Reginald, thank you so much for being on and just uh, sharing your time with us. Uh, oh, thank really you great. so much. This has been really, really amazing. Uh, you guys have such a great show. And uh, I, I hope that more of our artists from Black Lives, Black Words can be on your show as well. This has yeah. been really, uh, really great. Thank you all so much. Yeah, thank you.